0: Hey, everybody, we are currently busy with pre-production in our fourth feature film of the year, which is a relook at The Haunting of the Murder House found footed style. So we're going to go ahead and do a DBS throwback, which is a scene by scene breakdown of The Haunting of the Murder House. Be sure to take a look at it online as it is free to watch. Hey everybody, welcome to DBS Films Podcast. My name is Kellen, with me as always is my brother Brendan, and together we make movies with DBS Films. So in today's episode, we're going into part two of three for a scene-by-scene breakdown of The Haunting of the Murder House, which is our newest feature film. You can watch it on Tubi. You can now watch it on YouTube for free. You can also rent and buy it, support Indie Film on Amazon as well. And we also have The Growing Captain 13 and Into the Forest for free on Tubi. We also have plenty of other movies, so be sure to check out our website. Join our Discord. We make movies for our fans with our fans. So if you ever wanted to be in a movie or be more access behind the scenes, that is the place to be. So, The Haunted the Murder House, you know, I'm having a great time hopping in, going scene by scene with this, because I think it really highlights the improvement that you get. And I think one thing I just, you know, before we hop into this episode, just kind of want to talk about the ability you now have to have multiple scenes that are supposed to accomplish the same task. I think it took us a while to understand kind of the task of these scenes in the sense of this is a downbeat. This is a pop scare. This is going to be plot or stake in the sense of building these And I think what's really interesting about having 10 movies now with this one finished and going scene by scene through each one of them, we see the numerous different ways that you can take to accomplish the same thing. And you see what works and you see what doesn't work. And I think one thing I want to kind of mention before we hop into this is if you make 10 films, you make this amount of films, you just become incredibly tactical, You really do understand just the little moving things, what needle's kind of working and improving. It kind of goes back to what we're doing. We're essentially split testing our movies with the scenes and what's working and what's not. So once we get to something like The Haunting of the Murder House, it's just so much better, more so because we found the ways not to do it, and it's really unlocked the ways to do it. So. You know, when I'm going through the scene-by-scene breakdown, I kind of get a feeling of like, yes, you know, this is the heightened version. If I look at a little piece from here, a little piece from here, a little piece from here, put it all together, that's our better scene now. So you want to talk about that before we hop into and why it is important to finish your product, do something like this, because it's going to provide you way more experience. And that's the most important part if you want to have a long-term filmmaking career.
1: Yeah, it's really, uh, it's twofold. Number one, you know, I'm able to look at this and take what I like and what I didn't like and give myself like self-analysis and I'm my harshest critic. So I'm like, all right, look, I think we did this well. We can do it again and just do it better. Or this was poor. Let's figure out a way to fix it. The second thing is, you know, we get feedback from, you know, the audience and this one has thousands of reviews and I could try and, you know, reverse engineer. What do people like? You know, what do people not like? What can we, you know, fix and take away, you know, the bad and just try and change it so that, you know, the audience has a better engagement with the movie. Um, and this is just one of the reasons why we do a lot of movies. It's why we upload a lot of movies. And it's why we do 2.0 versions of this movie uh, of all our movies. <clears throat> if we were to do a 3.0 version of the murder house, which we're probably going to do next year, you know, I could already see different scenes that we can move around, different production value things that I could do to make this a better movie. Um, So these are just all things that you get from uploading movies. And you have to make a lot of movies, you have to upload a lot of movies, and you have to get feedback and reviews from your movies. If people are turning them off right away, then you're going to struggle to get reviews. And I really think I see so many indie filmmakers. I go on Amazon and look at their you know, their Amazon page and they have one four star review. It's like, yeah, it's a four star, but you really got to be in a couple hundreds of reviews to really get that feedback that you need. You can't just have one or two reviews because you don't know if they're outliers. You really want to have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of reviews. You can print them all out. You can look at them. I read pretty much every single review and I try and figure out like, you know, how do we make this a better product? Not only for myself, um, how do I get better, but how do we make a better you know, product for our fans?
0: Yeah, that really is the case. And, you know, having the discord now having the super fans, it's insane how much feedback we can get. They've already altered the beginning of the uh, intro to the murder house when we first um, had it out. So there's just so much value that you get from reviews. So you know, that's completely, you know, insanely important when it comes to and I think, again, a lot of the major issues, we simply write them out. That's when that's when you address the problem. So speaking of that, I think it's a perfect way to hop back into one of the major problems that I personally saw with growing cabin 13 that we kind of highlight, which is some point in time, you got to get out of the house. It's, you know, a bad situation. One person says stay. One person says go. If you only have two people brad did not get a lot of love in the girl in cabin 13 i think stewart did a fantastic job portraying him he did a great job with the role but i mean that's a character you're gonna kind of not enjoy just because he you know got them in a situation he had to lie about it all of these things maybe we could have fixed it a little bit if we were, you know different creative when it comes to the screenwriting i think we really solved that issue which is where we're picking up now and basically they had just faked the um the light scare where it shatters and they basically said, you know, you need to So Harper's like, you need to stop faking it. Kai's like, we need to fake it. Dylan's basically, you know, he's a little bit nervous. And then myself as Kel, I'm kind of just excited showing that things are moving in that direction. So I'm supporting Kai for the most part, but I'm supporting it in an indirect role. I'm just kind of a barometer of the success that everyone's having to kind of push that motion forward. So we get that. And we basically in that scene established that we're going to try and get something on the EMF reader for you, Harper. But if we don't get anything, we're immediately faking this. So you add a stake to this next scene, but you also add plot to it. So I think this whole setup and then hopping into essentially um, the first challenge and, you know, just kind of, or just not the first challenge, but just basically going through um, the EMF reader to, you know, scan the room and use the tool you're setting the stake that you just set up in that plot and again i think it goes back to how smooth this movie is it's just a nice flow from upping the stakes developing the plot because now they're basically asking lester questions so what are your thoughts on our transition there and again also major issues that we find we fix them before we even make the movie
1: yeah i think it's you know like i highlighted in the last episode i think it's you know, our next level, a step up we took in filmmaking to be able to just make these transitions as smooth as they are. Each scene kind of blends into the next scene. And I think that really helps with the pace. There's no real downbeats. It kind of feels like the whole movie's a wonder. Even though it's shot cinematic, we have cuts. all the scenes kind of ble- or the scenes bleed into each other. And I think it just makes the movie flow that much better. Because now we're going to the EMF scene. They're asking questions, which is very engaging. They're moving around, they're walking and talking. And then we hit them with a pop scare. And then we talk about seamless transitions. Now we transition to the secret room. So, like the flow of this movie is really, really good. And I think the the two main issues that I really see with a lot of indie filmmaking movies is. They're not developing the plot early in the movie and they're not making it clear, you know, what the motive the motivations are and what's exactly happening in this movie. And then the second thing is the scene transitions are just rough. Anytime you have to cut to B-roll, you have to pretty much start the scene again. And so to start and stop a scene, to start and stop a sequence over and over and over again, you're losing valuable time. You know, you only have an hour and 20 minutes to tell this story. If you're wasting, you know, seven to, eight mi- seven to eight minutes throughout this movie with B-roll and having to restart these sequences, your pacing's going to lag and it's going to suffer. So I really think we took a next step up. I think we did a good job in Shapeshifter with this, but I honestly would say Shapeshifter is just a little bit of a step back because it wasn't one night and we had to go back and do b-roll we had to do montages we had to kind of restart a lot of these scenes um so you know it's smoother but i don't think it was as smooth as this movie um and i was really just happy with how everything came together with just our transitions in this movie were just absolutely excellent
0: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, one of the major highlights that I'm going to take away from it, Um, you know, as you mentioned, is it really does uh, flow very smoothly, and that is aiding the pace immensely so we have our scene and now you know the EMF scene again, we talk about smooth here's what happens, they're walking through, they get nothing. You get the barometer of this, which is me, basically frowning and being like, oh, come on, this is so lame. You know, our viewers are going down. So you see the results as they're coming in. Harper's trying to get some communication. They get nothing. They go over there. They basically get nothing. Then they get a little bit of something. Then they get a nice scare. They get a nice pop scare. So we go from plot backstory. We're showing it develop. We're building stakes. Harper's losing her ground. And then, bam, something happens. Great pop scare. Harper immediately... Um, accuses Kai of faking it. Kai says, I'm not faking it. You know, the fake tapes right here, um, which is pretty funny to me because wouldn't you like replay it or whatnot? But hey, no one's ever mentioned that. So sweet. I'll never bring it up except for now. But, um, it's again another smooth scene. I think this is probably of the smoother ones. I think this might be my favorite one in the sense of if you combine it with the light bulb scare and just kind of say that's one smooth chunk there. Again, we're picking up steam here. It's really, really good. So what are your thoughts on, you know, the EMF, the pop scare, which is audio based? You get a lean in because everyone's trying to listen, so you almost feel like you're pulled into it, and then there's your scream.
1: Yeah, no, um I think it's solid. Like it's a good transition. The audio scare, um, it works really well. Um and anytime they have like stuff coming out of a radio with a very loud noise. It usually works pretty well. You get a nice slow pan in there. And, you know, people liked it. They, that was one of our top-ranked scares, too. And once again, it goes back to you faked it. No, I didn't. And I think right now is the first time you actually start to see, like, oh, something really paranormal is happening. Or at least some things that they can't explain. And then, you know, it cut, it transitions very smoothly into, you know, Dylan smacks into the back of the wall. We get a hole in the wall and now you have the opportunity to transition to the next sequence, which is the locked in sequence with Kai.
0: Yeah, no, it, it really is one of those things where again, it flows immediately. You have the hole in the wall. Um, he gets into it and they start explaining it. Uh, this goes great with basically getting the streams up. So the stakes are now up. So immediately with them going from a pod scare, what do you get? We get plot and stakes. Why did Lester have this? I don't know. You know, he's a creeper. What's going on here? It's spooky. It's fine. Okay, let's set up with all the challenges are. This is when we introduced the challenge. I remember the challenges were something where like, I remember I was heavily pushing for these just because I'm like, it's a great way to segment it. And I stand by it. it basically is how we progress kind of the next phase of the movie is by saying, hey, listen, you know we have to do these things for our stream. So it prompts them to kind of do things you want to do. Because if you think you're in a spooky house, why would you lock someone in, you know, a room? It doesn't really make sense. Well, if you're trying to do it for views, you know, why would you do a seance there? And I, I thought to me, the streaming element and something like that, that's just an example of plot being able to, you know, help smooth over things where it's like, why would you do this in this house? So I really do feel like, you know, we have their attention, it's making sense. Established the plot there and now we're upping the stakes again by actually locking them in there.
1: Yeah, definitely increases the stakes. Um mannequins are scary. Um and you know they're they're pushing the limits of like what they're trying to get. So I definitely think it's cool. Um this whole lock in sequence, you know, in theory, it's good. I think that this would be the only the only two things that um didn't work out as well as I had them in my head would probably be the intro with Reynolds and the cop in this scene and i don't I think this scene didn't work out for two reasons number one, I think I needed to have more reaction closer reaction shots to his face of him just really having fear and number two, those mannequins really just needed to move they needed to really someone needed to be a mannequin and you know, what I was trying to get was like the Doctor Who episode with the angels where he they kind of turn and move around. Um, I always thought that was a really cool episode. Um, And, you know, you're stuck in there with all these creepy things. It's just a scary situation. I think if we were to do it again, I have more mannequins. I think that would have probably helped it out. So you can't really watch them all. Would have been a cool thing. But really, that room was very limited. It wasn't very big. It, once again, like it comes down to production value. It just the production value wasn't there. Um, so I had a lot of coverage of this. This whole scene was very difficult to edit because it just was not getting better. Um, but it's good because we took it to the Discord. They gave me some ideas. We added some footsteps. We added some other noises. And there's a lot of reviews out there saying that this was, you know, a lot of people's favorite scene. Um, To me, I think we could have done a better job, Um, but we now know that we can actually do it, you know, in the murder house 3.0, I'd actually have this in the basement or the attic or another creepy room and really just have it like dim, like it's just dungy and like grimy and there's like, I would have mannequins with like a sheet over them, I have mannequins that were just there um, and just a wide open space. I think could just allow me to shoot it a little bit better. We could have had people in the actual mannequins moving and that would have just made it such a better scene. But once again, it just comes from experience. We know at worst case scenario, we have this kind of scene. um, And the next time, you know, we'll just do it better.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I really do agree. And the big thing for me is, you know, what you mentioned um, production value. You know, I really do think that a lot of the things in this movie are simply just a shift upward in the production value, Um, you know, and that's why I think when we're talking about this and we're like, this is a good scene, this is this, really the only thing you're missing is production value, is a scarier manner, is more day, you know, those little things that are easily upgraded. But the things that we do hone in on are things that are really just kind of structurally broken or even below the level of the production value, you know, that we know that we're attainable in that sense. And I think... The mannequin scene, and it's pretty funny, too, because, you know, all the things that we talked about, what are the the scenes that we really talked about fixing? The intro, which we just cut down. The mannequin scene, which we just kind of worked on, added noises and tried to improve it. And then at the very end, the outro scene where, you know, he hops in and that was something we completely picked up. All of those things, as soon as we were done, like I remember mentioning, we should have shot the mannequins remove like one of the last days, like we were already talking about it after we did it. So it just kind of shows you like immediately in the process, I feel like we had feelings, you know, well, this and it just makes you think and then a lot of times, you know, we always say this on set, it's like, shoot, like, why don't we think about this earlier or something like that comes up. So, again, another testament to why. You need to go ahead and do either like a pre-production to kind of ease this ability. But then more importantly, as soon as you're done filming it, you'll know. Because again, having someone in there as a mannequin, I think that works perfectly. With that being said, though, you know, like you said, we didn't really get much flack for it. People liked the scene. You know, again, I think Carlita, the Carl mask on the mannequin is pretty terrifying in its sense. But you go immediately from that. We get them out. We pull them out. Kai's pretty freaked out because, again, Kai is the, you know, he thinks all of this is fake. He saw something. He saw something moving. He's kind of panicked. And then I basically, you know, reassure him, hey, we're getting a lot of views. We're doing good. It settles him down, and he's perfectly fine to keep going. So I think it's a perfect, you know, again, putting Kai in the room, having this character develop like this. And like you've mentioned before, the way that this scene, you know, transfers is the door opens, and Harper brings it right out. So a perfect right into this talk about it and then we immediately hop into all right time for the next
1: challenge yeah and i mean the transition's great you know we're moving his motivation doesn't make too much sense but tyler's a really good actor and he kind (laughs) of plays the character who just kind of like you know it's like oh man that thing just happened to me all right like i'm a little bit worried but it's fine and then it's just also the next thing is completely fine and he did that a good job in the it was a similar scene in that movie. Um, and that takes skill to like be able to do that, to be, to act scared and fearful, and then just kind of like slowly transition back to like, all right, look, like, I guess that mannequin turning and freaking out was just all in my head. Within like three minutes, so a little movie magic there takes skill as an actor. But once again, like, look, they're out there. They address it, you know, he's like, you know, I'm fine. And they kind of give him like a little bit of shit. And then we transition right into the next sequence, which is the Ouija board sequence. So we're still moving quickly. We're moving at a good pace. The transitions are good. Um, and it's just like, once again, there's just a good, well-paced movie. I'm really happy with how this all, you know, was handled. I just think the Ouija board should have been done before the lock-in sequence. And I don't know if you would have been able to light it on fire like we did, which I really liked. But it you go from a very intense scene with the lock-in sequence to the Ouija board, which takes a long time to develop. I think we kind of lost a little bit of stuff here where I would have rather had the Ouija board in the beginning and then it start to move. Um, or maybe like after the light scare and they think that, you know, they're they're moving the Ouija board. Um And you think that's fake, but it turns out it's kind of real. I think would have been a better sequence because it's just like they're just off to go from this crazy lock in sequence to Ouija board, which is really just asking. There's not a lot of stakes with the Ouija board until it catches on fire. Um, It just felt a little bit off. And there's a lot of reviews saying like, you know, the movie was very fast and upbeat until we hit that Ouija board scene because it does take a long time to develop.
0: Yeah, I, I do agree. You know, I know the Ouija board was always something in what the challenges were like, this will be good. I was confident with my pyrotechnic capabilities that we could achieve the, the fire look. And, you know, you do magnets, again, to have it move. There's very good practical effects. I think this seemed to me, highlights production value. Again, you know, something we can easily scale up. You have a spookier manner. You have something with a larger room. You put a bunch of candles around there, which was kind of the idea. Maybe you have things move. Like, I mean, honestly, you're just in the circle and you pull a chair and the chair moves. What was that? That was really spooky. Like, there's a lot of little things. And I think to me, the Ouija board was where our production value kind of showed the most, um, just where we're at. And yet we pulled it off to a really good degree. Because I mean, we're in the middle of a garage you know if you look at that scene like that's just in like a normal garage and you don't really feel that like i honestly i don't even notice the garage door that's directly behind dylan that's like right there it like doesn't take me out of it i am engaged i think the big thing with this one is it's so slow to ask a question and this might be for horror ones i don't know maybe i need to watch ouija like i didn't watch much ouija stuff before we did this scene but like i mean we were spelling stuff out and doing this and like was there a proper way to just have them talk faster? Because I think the problem to me is we either ask one too many questions or that whole development. Because the, the slow part, I mean, it's funny because even Kel is like, would you guys just shut up and keep progressing? So it's almost kind of like that. I think we got caught up um, in, again, just progressing dialogue. And it's the same cuts back and forth. There's not really much movement. The movement comes once the, you know... Um, Planchette starts moving all over the place. That's when you get hantic. That's when you get there. So I think to me, it's a scene of like, I don't think we expected that dialogue to take that long, potentially. I remember reading it and being like, okay, you know, this will be fine. I think it's something we're like, now that we know, and you know, like you said, I think anytime we have a Ouija board scene from now, we know we can make a successful one.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think the issue is just, It's right after that lock in sequence. And that lock in sequence just ups the pace. Like, I think the overall length and, you know, with the dialogue and everything is fine. I really like the Ouija board sequence. I think it's engaging. You know, you're showing things, there's different cuts in there. It was just a very well edited scene. It just needs to be earlier in the movie. It just takes a step back with the stakes, and I think that's why it seems longer. Is because you're like, oh well, we just had this gnarly scene with uh, these mannequins popping out and attacking this dude. That's what I want to see, and now we're going back to, all right, is this board gonna like kill me? Is this board gonna you know go crazy or do anything? And yeah, it does go nuts, but it, like, I'm not scared of a Ouija board. I'm scared of mannequins. So you're going, it's in the opposite order. And I think that's just, you know, once again, I think the hardest thing is to really stack these scares properly in a horror movie. There, it, there's so much like, um, volatility on just like how these things are in your head and how they actually turn out, especially on an indie indie level, where you really don't have the opportunity to get a million takes or to do a ton of pre-production stuff. Some of them hit like the light falling down and some of them just miss like the intro hook. It's just, I don't even know. And I've done a lot of these movies. So I think what you need to do is just do a lot of these movies, learn from them. And now it's that's the easy fix, right? You know, we just can go back and we could shoot this and shoot the same movie 3.0 version and just put the Ouija board earlier in the movie. And you could probably take out one of those walk and talk dialogue scenes and do the same objective and do the same lore dump with the Ouija board. And then it's way more engaging. And you can end that scene with the Ouija board moving. Or the other one I wanted to try was to like put bungee cords on the Ouija board and have the whole table just fling against the wall. Would have been really good. And that would have really got that movie cranking at that point. Um, and I think that that's just the way to get the 3.0 version uh, to go where it needs where it needs to uh essentially get to
0: yeah no, i I could see that i think the big thing with the placement here as you kind of mentioned we led with this becomes the real active hook you know this becomes everyone witnessed something that is not explainable even as much as <laughs> kai likes to say there was candles there which goes back to his amazing ability as you mentioned to just immediately brush off what he just saw and it just it works um but Essentially, you have that happen. So Ouija board, bust into flames. Again, great scene, great scare. You're back at 100% in the sense of it's going. And now you have the active element to it. So what happens here? The characters play out their dynamics. You have Dylan. I'm getting out of here. Dylan goes up to there. They basically all come up and they're like, what's going on? And again, if we set them up correctly, Harper, this is amazing. We just saw Paranormal. What is this? Kai, we're going to be rich. And both of them are kind of feeding off that to be like, hey, let's talk this out. So the first thing they do is disengage, you know, try and be like, hey, listen, then they have a little sidebar, you know, essentially Kai's like, we need him. and I'm like, Kai, we need him. So this presents it. And this is what we kind of talked about where the best light to almost present to gaslight. Is that three people all slightly pitch in? So if you're the for, if you're the fourth person, if three people are like come on, let's do this, and you're the fourth person. I think naturally most people are going to be less inclined to be like, no, screw this, versus if it's this one person or even two people. So what we ended up having is all three of our characters chip in their logical reasons to defuse the viewer, which again, as you mentioned, is Dylan. Uh, this is a really well done scene. I think it fixes the major error that we had in the Girl in Cabin 13, and I really enjoy watching it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a scene that I talked about in the last episode. In every single horror movie, you're going to have the scene where it's should we stay or should we go, and this is right before the climax. And if they leave, then you don't have a horror movie. You won't have a climax. So you have to either remove their ability to escape, or give them proper motivation, and that's what we did in both these in this. Or that's what we did with both of those things in this movie. We took away their ability to escape. By locking them in but then we made sure they had proper motivations and we built these motivations from the start of the movie all the way to the end we made sure that you know kai was in it for the money harper was in it for the fame and dylan wanted to get out dylan's the viewer um but i think at the end of it we just you know harper just railroaded dylan kai just wasn't going to give dylan the time of day to talk and you know that's just how we addressed it we just made dylan opt out and just i'll go wait by the door and then until things really started you know cranking um you know that we didn't have to really worry about uh you know them leaving so i think we addressed it well nobody really brought it up in a negative way like they did in you know some of our other movies but once again we put a lot of work into this we knew this scene was coming we tried to you know have little breadcrumbs from start to finish. And, you know, we did that in Shapeshifter, and we did that really well. I'm really proud of the way we did it into the Force 2.0. I think it's going to be very good. Um, but it's just, these are scenes that if you're making horror movies that you have to pay attention to, you really have to make sure that um, you're addressing this one scene. Cause it's going to be in every single horror movie. I have yet to see a horror movie where this scene isn't there good horror movies are addressing it all the way through so when you get there the audience members are like all right like i could see why kai wants to stay he wants the money i could see why harper wants to stay. she wants the fame i get that stuff like their motivations are actually proper and this is something you got to work with the actors with too because they have to have their motivations to stay um and if they're the ones you know reading their script getting into their character and they're saying hey like brendan like my motivations are off here then you have to go back and fix that because that's a huge issue if the characters are not properly motivated if you go back and look at girl in camera 13 where brad's gaslighting sunny hard about whether they should spend another night or leave um they could have just walked out that door and got in that car and been totally fine and that would have been the end of that movie and They had no motivations to stay. That was 100% the correct decision to just walk out there. I think if you would have taken a ton of people and put them in that situation, yeah, they're out like a couple hundred bucks they paid for that cabin, but after seeing a clown in the woods chasing him, I'd be out of there too. So that was where we just didn't do that scene well. Come back, learn from it, did it better in the murder house, and we've done it good in um, the... uh, shapeshifter movie and the uh into the force too
0: yeah, yeah no I, I do agree in the sense that this was and this is what i want to highlight you know where you will find places that like it was so to me it was so painful and you know i, I can look back and i think again I, I think we're getting past the painful more point but i say that in probably two movies from now we'll look back at murder house and be like hey we were doing this that's just progression and growth but it was so painful for me to watch kind of that lack of plot or like reasoning for it. And it was really something where I think it goes back to us just playing it super safe. We just wanted something, you know, you didn't have to risk any kind of explanation. You can just kind of go straight forward, gets the job done. Amazing movie, super proud of it in that sense. But um, yeah, it's something that it was so on my mind going into this one that I feel like, again, we really made sure to make it uh, addressed in a very good way. So you have this and not only do you have this, you have them convinced that we have to do the next scene, which is our seance scene. So we have our seance scene and we have our radio scene. And I say that this is the best sequence pop scare that we've done. And I think it's because it's a hopping back and forth. So it's really paced. Well, I think it's the best paced pop scare in the sense of you're having two things happen in action. Is each of the scare that good? I think the radio is pretty good. I think, Kai falling over and having a seizure is you can do a little bit better stuff there, but between both of those things, you can easily increase the production value a ton, super easy ways. And then bam, you have this amazing scene, but I think what we unlocked was the dual build-up pop scare. And you see it a lot in Hollywood. Like I've seen it a lot in different horror movies is you're basically doing one scare and then another scare, but I thought it was really, really done. And it goes back to noise is scary. Radio is scary. I love that song and you know i we had a lot of people say that that was one of their favorite ones was the radio pop scare and the seance but we did have some people say the seance after that they didn't really like it that much um but that was back before we really kind of made some of the edits to it that was like the super fan feedback but overall i think the flow of the all of it works off it's a nice crescendo yeah
1: i think with the seance um it just messes with the pace of the movie a little bit because it takes a while for you have like this downbeat. So you have a very tense moment with whether they should stay or should they go, you know, you're working off of, um, you know, a high dialogue thing It should just be, this is, it feels like this is the start of the climax and it really, or it should be the start of the climax. And really the climax starts with Dylan Tay getting smashed in. If I were to do this again, I would have them like reading out of Lester's journal or something. I would have the radio go much faster. I think the Latin and the time it takes to set up is just very, very long. Um, They also narrate to the camera for a little bit. So it just, it takes a while to get going. So I don't think it was like anything other than it takes a while to get going and it takes a while for Dylan to get to that radio. It's just a slower developing sequence but I don't know if it I think it kind of needs to be like that because it does climax pretty good and you know, it needs to go where it needs to get to. But I mean, I think the seance, I think it's just an it's, you know, like what we talk a, a lot about like Occam's razor. I think we could have just, you know, immediately started the sequence of them, you know, making the concoction and pouring the salt, which I think was really engaging. And then trying to get Uh, trying to figure out how to get Dylan to that radio as quickly as possible and kind of have a seizure. Like, I think all the dialogue in the Latin could have been cut out and people would have understood what we were doing. They're doing, like, a seance thing. Like, that whole thing where we're building that cup and the salt circle and everything, you know, is, is good. And that was enough to be like, all right, look, these guys are doing something, like, to try and conjure this dude. And I think you just start with that and really cut all the dialogue stuff out, and I think it would have been a better sequence.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I do agree in the sense that it takes a little bit slow to do it, but I think the overall structure is what I really enjoy in the sense of it's that dual nature pop one. And I think it's something where you can easily take, you know, if you have a lot of different people, you have a lot of different streams, and you play up that element – you can really have the multiple takes, but it provides a quick one. So that's going to go ahead and wrap up uh, this episode. In the last episode, we're going to go ahead and talk about basically the finale. You know, this is kind of kicking off the finale, I would say for the most part. But up until this point, you know, I think the best thing that you can really talk about is is how smooth and how fast movies are. The one thing I like about the Shape Shifter is it's incredibly fast. I think it's especially fast in the earlier points that we do. And then the thing about the, the end of the Force 2.0 is the script reads incredibly fast. And I think, you know, before we end real quick, you just want to talk about, you know, what your main takeaway is uh, in the sense of just the increase in pacing and fluidity when it comes to the movie. And again, how critical that is, because I think it's the overall theme that what we're starting to see in the murder house.
1: Yeah, I think the faster pace your movie is, the more success it's going to have. I mean I I'd bet a lot of money on that. And now we're even like looking back at the murder house. You know, we're picking in isolated sequences that just were too slow. And I think that you can go even faster. I think the shapeshifter is faster. I think Into the Forest is faster. probably the next one we do will be even faster than that. And I think it will it'll make a better movie. Um I think it will Make a movie that makes more revenue because we make all our money off AVOD platforms, and you really just need people to watch your movie from start to finish. And we'll get more feedback as well. We'll get better as a filmmaker because we're people are watching the movie, they're interacting with the movie, and they're going to leave a review if they watch it all. Nobody leaves a review for a movie that they turn off like halfway through it or in the first half. So, I think that's honestly like my number one advice for indie filmmakers is to just go as fast as you can. And when you go as fast as you can, it's not fast enough. Like you've already given me the script for into the forest 2.0. When I first started, I'd be like, Whoa, we got to put some downbeats in here. We got to like, slow this thing down. This is too crazy. And like, I went and reviewed the whole script today and I tried to speed it up as much as I could. So it's always easier to go faster because if you're, you know, at that point, you can always add scenes, like you can always add B-roll, you could slow down the movie, you could add pickups to slow it down, to speed a movie up requires you to cut scenes, and when you cut scenes, it's never good for your movie, so, you know, that would be my advice, it's a learning lesson, um, each one we try and get better, we try and get faster, but I think we're getting to the point now where we're getting very good at pacing these movies out.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited, you know, I think again, Shapeshifter, we're going to probably have the same thing where we talk about just how fast this movie is, what the improvements are, and then, you know, before you know it, we'll have Into the Force as well too, a la the blessing of found footage which is as long as we film everything it'll be very quick and easy to edit through it so we're very excited for it uh the last episode again we're going to basically highlight the uh finale for it but until then be sure to take a look and find us online dbs films our discord channel is a place to be because we make movies for our fans with our fans so if you ever wanted to be in a movie you can have the chance to because we have open auditions but until then have a good one